which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. As I say, this is Luke's record of the details surrounding the birth of Jesus. And there's just one little detail in this story, and this is, uh, there's much more to the story than this, but one little detail that I wanted to focus on, and that's the part that I have underlined there from verse 7, because there was no room for them in the inn. The reason uh, Mary and Joseph ended up in a stable was because there was no room for them in the end. And the reason that the Son of God was born in a stable is because there was no room for his parents in the stable. Not much of a welcome for the Son of God uh, to our world. Not much of a welcome for the creator of the world to this world. And I guess what I want to say is what happened at the birth of Jesus kind of foreshadows his ministry. This is the beginning of a theme for him. John chapter 1, verse 11, John says, He came to his own and his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. I, I keep thinking of the King James. He came into his own, and his own received him not. Uh, Jesus came to his own people, but they really didn't want all that much to do with him. There were some people who thought he was great and wonderful, but the leaders, no. And kind of like that night when he showed up in Bethlehem, when Mary and Joseph showed up there, and there was no room in the end, so... They had to go to the stable. There's another place later on in Jesus' ministry. I mean, this comes up over and over again. and I'm just giving these two as, as an example. But here's Luke chapter 9, 57, 58. Jesus is walking along down the, down the road. This is sometime during his ministry. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. There was no room for him in the end. After his crucifixion and his resurrection, he returns to his real home. Finally, there is a place for, for the Son of God in heaven. He goes to his rightful place at the right hand of the Father, where he now is reigning. But his search for a room here on earth is not over. He's still looking for a place to stay. And along about 95 A.D., Jesus gives a message to the church at Laodicea. There's a, it's in that section where the seven churches of Asia are each receiving their own little letter or message from, from Jesus. And what's interesting, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, here's how it reads. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. <laughs> I'm looking for a room. I want to come in. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. And that's my point. Jesus is still looking for a, a room, a place to stay. And unfortunately, he ends up in, uh, in the stable because no room is found. The dwelling place that he seeks is the heart. And uh, in a moment, when we come back to Revelation 3 and 20, I'm just going to talk about that just a little bit more. But the dwelling place that Jesus is seeking is the heart. So there's a prayer where this is reflected. It's in Ephesians chapter 3. It's the Apostle Paul uh, praying for the church there. But listen to the prayer. Because in the prayer, he tells us where Jesus wants to be. 
For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. What's, what are we praying, Paul? That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And it's just that part of the prayer that I'm looking at. That's where Jesus wants to be. The room that he's seeking is the one that's in your heart. And that's the one where he deserves to be. So, I just want to talk about making a room for Jesus. Making room. Some people, uh, you know, have no room. Let's go back to Revelation 3 and 20. That's a very odd statement, isn't it? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him. We'll dine with him and he with me. It's not odd in the sense that that's Jesus' desire. What's odd is that he's knocking at the door of a church. You would think if there was any place that would open up the door uh, of their hearts to Jesus, it would be a church. This is the church in Laodicea. And Jesus is standing on the outside and he's knocking on the door. He's hoping that they will make room for him. Warner Solomon has painted a uh, famous picture of this scene in Revelation 3 and 20. And I'd like to put that picture up there if you don't mind. You've seen this picture, I know, hundreds of times, probably. But he's painted a, a famous picture of this scene. Uh, that's Jesus standing at the door of the church at Laodicea. The, door, the name of the picture is Christ knocking at the door of the heart. That's how he named it. And, and that's what it's about. It's based on Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. And someone came to uh, Solomon one time and said, you've made a mistake. There's no latch on the door. Look at the door. There's no place where anyone can reach over and open that door. And Solomon replied, that's not a mistake. That's on purpose. That's the way I intended it. That is reality. And he says, um, the latch is on the inside. Jesus can't go in unless the person on the inside unlatches the door. And that's kind of how it is. Uh, Jesus wants to be inside. He wants to go in that door. But the person on the inside has to open it and let him come in. And as I say, it's a sad scene here when you think about this. This is the, this is the church at Laodicea. And Jesus is knocking on the door. He can't get in. Some have made room for Jesus, but uh, it's the guest room. And you know what a guest room is, don't you? In other words, they, they've opened the door, and they've let Jesus come in, and they said, Jesus, over here is the guest room. Come on in. You can be in the guest room. Well, you know what a guest room is, is don't you? I mean, uh, it, it's a room for guests, for people who show up every now and then. You want to have a nice place to put them uh, when they're there with you, and, uh, but when you have a guest room, you're not really intending for that to become a room where someone might live. In other words, it's just for a day or two. That's all you really had in mind. That's what a guest room is for. But that's the room that some people have for Jesus. He comes uh, for special occasions, but he doesn't really live there. He's invited to weddings and funerals and uh, maybe holidays and things like that. And he's expected to come by for a visit when there's a family crisis. But... Uh, Really, if you're putting him in the guest room, you really don't intend for him to stay there beyond those special occasions. So some have opened the door, but uh, made a room, but they're putting him in the guest room. 
And some people, uh, the room in the house that they've given to Jesus is what I would call the servant's room. And I know we, we don't have servant's rooms in our houses, but uh, pretend like for a little while that you live at Downton Abbey, okay? Uh, that you've got servants that, uh, and you've got servants' quarters and servants' rooms. Well, what is a servant's room? Well, that's where the servants stay. And what that means is you're allowed to stay, but it's clear who's in charge, and it's not the servant. It's the family. It's the people there. It's the head of that household. He's the one who is really in charge. The servants are supposed to take care of the family, not the other way around. And so Jesus is invited in, but uh, he's, he's in the servant's room. He's allowed to, you know, how does a servant work there anyway? Well, a servant's allowed to stay as long as he's useful or he doesn't cause trouble. But if he is not useful to the family, if he's not serving the family, then he gets transferred out. He gets to go somewhere else. Uh, I'm not wanting to pick on this particular group, but I, I kind of think this, this, this works, this fits. There are people who, uh, that's the kind of room they want Jesus to be in. Uh, they've made him a room in the servant's room. They're expecting him to be useful. I've uh, been kind of bumping in and being uh, involved with uh, AA for a while. I've known many people who were in AA. And uh, it's a wonderful group. That group has helped, uh, done a lot of good for a lot of people. The 12 steps on which the uh, AA is based is, uh, is drawn from Scripture. I mean, those are scriptural principles. They're not given in biblical language, but the ideas are, are, are scriptural. They're spiritual ideas. And so I, I don't want to necessarily just pick on this one group, but this is just something that I've observed about some of the people that I've met who've been involved in AA. The one thing I would take issue with some of them is that they use their higher power to get a handle on a particular area of life. They use him. He is like in the servant's room, so to speak. And now they're thankful to him, and they're grateful for him for that. But if the higher power, if the higher power doesn't do his job and keep things going the way it should, Jesus is not allowed to stay. He's not useful anymore. If your higher power has done a wonderful job helping you regain control of this one area that's giving you so much problem, what about the other areas of life, the rest of your life? And I guess that's the thing that I'm concerned about. Is that, okay, I have this one area of life that I'm going to give over to God. I'm going to give over to a higher power. And God's going to help me get control of this area of my life. And I think that's wonderful. But all I want to say to those people involved in the 12-step groups, if he helps you take care of that one area of your life and he does such a great and wonderful job, what about the rest of your life? Does he just have to stay in the servant's room and do what you want him to do and not touch anything else? But some people put Jesus in the servant's room. He's allowed to stay as long as he is useful. And then there's uh, another room in our homes. I call this the storage room or maybe a closet or a basement or an attic or whatever you want to call it. We all have a, um, a storage room. And, uh, you know, that's, I think that's where some people put Jesus. Uh, that's where you keep the stuff that only comes out at certain times of the year. Uh, 
That's where you keep your Christmas decorations, and that's where you keep your Easter baskets, and that's where you keep the stuff, you know, when you want to bring it out and you know, have it out for, you know, a few weeks or whatever. And then it's there, and then you put it away, and you don't worry about it until next year. But some people have made a room for Jesus, but it's like the storage room. We just kind of go get him when we need him and bring him out, put him on display, and then we put him back. And then there's another room that we might uh, mention here. I mean, uh, Jesus is knocking on the door, and, maybe, and some people open up the door. They invite Jesus in, but the room they put him in is called, I call it the boardroom. Now, I know we don't have boardrooms in our homes, but, and we, but you all know what happens in a boardroom, don't you? I've seen lots of boardrooms, and it's usually a nice big table and lots of chairs because people meet in there, important people, people that are uh, uh, guiding an institution or an organization or a business or a corporation or whatever, and they're making big decisions, and, and there's a lot, like many, many seats around this table, and everyone has an input and everyone has a voice about what's happening there. Well... That's, uh, that's what a boardroom is. That's where the board of directors uh, will meet. And there are some Christians who have made a room for Jesus in their lives, and it's the boardroom. And they think Jesus is really important, important enough that he gets to sit at the table where, around this table and have some input and some say about what happens in their lives. But uh, as you know uh, how a board works, there's no one board member that controls it all. They might get to have their say and they get a vote, but one board member doesn't control it all. Someone else, actually. You know, but that, the final decision belongs to someone else. And I think some people deal with Jesus in that way. They invite him in. They invite him to come in and, and take a seat at the board table. He's allowed to have input on every decision that's made, but he doesn't have the final say. The final say is with someone else. And so Jesus is in the boardroom. For all practical purposes, Jesus is like a board member for some Christians. And finally, there's a room called the throne room. Now, again, no one has a throne room in their house, I don't think. Oh, a funny thought just occurred to me. Maybe we do, but don't come here. I didn't mean for it to come out that way, but it did. No, we don't have it. Not what I'm talking about. <laughs> There's a room called the throne room. And we don't really have a throne room in our house, but we do have a throne room in our hearts. That's the very center. It's the place where every decision is made in our lives. It's a room where there's uh, one throne, and there's only one person who can sit on that one throne. If Jesus is in the guest room, then obviously he's not in the throne room. And if he's in the servant's room or the storage room or he's in the boardroom, then obviously he's not in the throne room and he's not on that throne. And I promise you, if Jesus is not in the throne room on the throne, then the person who is on the throne is going to be me. It's going to be us. So many people have made a room for Jesus. But the room they give him is not the throne room. But the only room he really wants is the throne room. And that's the room that he deserves. So my question for you this morning is, do we have room for Jesus? Or does he have to 
stand at the door and knock. And if we do have a room for Jesus, which one is it? Now, we've been talking about making a room for Jesus. But I want to point out something to you, that Jesus has been making a room for us. In John 14, verses 1, 2, and 3, Jesus says this. He says, let, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What that verse says, that's Jesus' promise to his disciples and us. He said, hey, I, I have to leave, and if I'm going... I want you to understand that I'm going, but I'm going so I can prepare you a place. I'm preparing you a room, a really nice room. Jesus made this promise about 2,000 years ago. And what this means is that he's been working on our room for the past 2,000 years. That's amazing. I know Jamie pointed out one time, and I think this is really uh, something worth thinking about. If you turn back to Genesis chapter 1, you can see what God can do in seven days. It's our creation. It's our world. It's, it's the universe. It's all the creatures and all the people in this present world. God did that in, well, actually he did it in six days because he rested on the seventh. Isn't that amazing? But if God can do that in six days, what can he do in 2,000 years? What kind of a room could he make in 2,000 years? It's, it's amazing, isn't it? And the Apostle Paul describes, tries to describe the room for us or what God has in store for us. He says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. Neither has it entered the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. This place that God is making for us, that Jesus is making for us, is uh, uh, we, we, we've never seen it, we've never heard about it. In fact, we can't even think it. It's beyond our wildest imagination. Jesus is making a room for us. And here's the deal. If we make room for Jesus, Jesus has a room for us. Pretty simple, isn't it? And I hope that all of you will make room for Jesus and to get him to the right room. It's the throne room. That's where he wants to be. Maybe there's someone here who's not a Christian. And as we sing this hymn of invitation... We're inviting you to come to confess your faith in Jesus, to repent of your sins, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And that makes you a child of God, a Christian, and then invite you to keep right on living for him the rest of your life to let Jesus have the throne room. And if that uh, is what you want for this morning, when we stand and sing, we're just going to invite you to come to the front.